the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along. It's another day in paradise here in the city of Pittsburgh, western Pennsylvania. Sun is shining, temperatures are warm, spring is somewhere close to us. I mean, how can you complain? Kath, good to see you. I didn't wear a coat. Uh, Today, I've got my windows open. What? In my room here, in the Let's spare not room. Let's carried away, John. It's no, not it feels like good. it's 75. Well, I got a shirt on and a hoodie, so I feel like, yeah. Uh, no. Wow. Feels good. Hey, today's uh, National Anthem Day, in case you were Is wondering. Is it? Mm-hmm. On this date in 1931, the Star-Spangled Banner adopted officially as the National Anthem. 1931. That's yeah. much later than I would Me have too. thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the National Anthem. I feel as if it's very difficult to sing. Well... If you're sitting in a ball game and you're just singing it, it's, okay, yeah, that's not what I mean. No, right. If you're a professional right. and you're like, trying to sing singing it, singing "Oh Canada" is a heck of a lot easier. I'm sure than singing the "Star Spangled Banner." It's yeah. a challenging song to sing well. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, if, if you're a professional and called in front of a crowd, I mean, I brought this up to you a while ago. Remember years ago, um, the Pirates would put up, "Hey, if you want to sing the national anthem," and I said, "Kath." You should go sing the national anthem. We'll make it a thing. And yeah, you give me that look like, what are you kidding me? Over my dead body, am I going to get up and sing the national anthem? Why? Because I'm not good enough. Oh, That's you're fine. easy. You're I'm very not. good. You have a beautiful not. voice. No, there's no way I'm good enough to be singing the national anthem in front of people. This is never going to happen. Here's the, If you sang it, I'd back you up with the kazoo. <laughs> Okay. Well, that would be something to make sure people never I would to back you up. Kathy. Okay, I'd back you up. I'd sit in here somewhere. It's one of my drawers here. Oh, oh, Daisy. Oh, oh, <laughs> He's listening to his microphone, Mike. What the heck's going on? Oh, where's the kazoo? Where's the kazoo when you need the kazoo? Oh, uh, darn it. That's really sad. Anyway, sorry, Kath. I digress, as I do. Uh, <laughs> but listen, uh, as we get underway at the top of the show, you always compile the top news stories of the day. So would you please give us the top four at four? Mm-hmm. Yes, for Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. Mm-hmm. Number one, most teachers across Pennsylvania could be vaccinated and ready to return to in-person classrooms by the end of March, state officials said today, as they announced that educators will receive priority for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. According to today's trip, Governor Tom Wolf said giving educators the first shot at the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is, quote, an important step to getting students back into the classroom safely. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the first single-dose shot to receive emergency authorization, means there isn't the weeks-long waiting period for immunity to take effect, Mr. Wolf said. Number two. Senate Democrats reached a deal with President Joe Biden to limit the eligibility for $1,400 checks in his $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, phasing the payments out for Americans earning more than $80,000. The tweak is a goal of moderates who did not want the checks to go to wealthier Americans. 
According to USA Today, the checks would start to phase out at $75,000 and phase out entirely at eighty. Now, that's income for individuals. Joint filers would have their checks phase out starting at $150,000 and entirely at $160,000. The change could mean the change could mean many Americans who could have received at least some payment will now receive none. Number three, Google plans to stop selling ads based on individuals browsing across multiple websites, a change that could hasten upheaval in the digital advertising industry. I read here from the Wall Street Journal. Google said it plans next year to stop using or investing in tracking technologies that uniquely identify web users as they move from site to site across the Internet. The decision coming from the world's biggest digital advertising company could help push the industry away from the use of such tracking, which has come under increasing criticism from privacy advocates and faces scrutiny from regulators. And number four, in news too weird to be manufactured, I turn to Sports Illustrated. So go back in time with me. Super Steeler quarterback Terry Bradshaw was hurting after the 1982 season. He had torn muscle and tendons in his throwing elbow in training camp after slipping on a wet field while throwing a pass. Aided by cortisone shots, he had managed to play every one of the nine games in the strike-shortened season, but needed surgery in the offseason to repair the damage. So, on March 3rd, 1983, 1983, I said, Terry Bradshaw was admitted to doctor's hospital in his hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana, for surgery. To avoid being descended upon by press and admirers, Bradshaw decided to be admitted under an assumed name. Have you heard what it was? Yes, it was Tom Brady. <laughs> and that is your top four. I mean, that is such a great, weird story. Seriously. That's super funny, isn't it? How'd that come out? How did that leak out? I mean, I don't know. I, I saw it first on Sports Illustrated. That's why I wanted to give them the uh, the call in the top four at four. I, I just think it's a super funny story. Yeah. And I, it does make you think. So what is it? Is is like, you think Terry Bradshaw's a time traveler? Could be. You think he right? came forward. He saw um, what was happening uh, in 2021 and he decided to take the name back. Of course, right. if he did that, then he also would have, <laughs> he would have seen how, uh, not good he's looking these days after his COVID weight gain and thought maybe I should try to avoid that also. Well, maybe, you know, during the seventies when Terry Bradshaw could have been considered the goat, he thought, who will I pass the baton to someday? Who will be the next goat? And so then he became Tom Brady. I don't so think Terry Bradshaw was ever the goat. Well, if you win four Super Bowls, I'm, right? Yeah, right. I mean, yes. I think it, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. safety. It's he's within the conversation, especially in the era that he won the four Super Bowls. Yeah, I guess you're right. Thank you. I mean, but you still have. It's music still, to my ears. You still Hello, have Johnny Unitas in there. Of you course, you would have here. Yeah, you know, Joe and, Namath, and, all and, that, you know, right? Yeah, and Joe wow. Montana was coming on his heels. Yeah, and... but you know, you win four Super Bowls, you're one quarterback for the same team. You have to be considered in that, especially during the time frame it was. That's all. All right. Anyway, fine. Okay. If you're going to be that picky about so it, I'll let you know that's Jeez. what's going on. We got a big show for you today, as we always do. We're going to talk in just a little bit about the nature of poverty. I mean, is it the government's job to make sure that you know? There's no poverty in this world, or is it our job as believers? Christine Jeske will join us next for that conversation, the role of the church for the economically under-advantaged. Stick around with that.
95 WORD. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. That's the beginning of what Dr. J. Vernon McGee calls the good news out of Revelation 14. Good news? Well, you might be wondering how the hour of judgment can equate with good news. Well, join us this week on Through the Bible as we find out. Through the Bible, this evening at 9 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. If you're an employer, a business owner, if you have 5 to 100 employees, listen up. The cost of doing business continues to skyrocket, strangling your HR department with more regulations, administrative duties, and liability than ever. I'm Kathy Emmons. Your health plan's a big part of that cost. Another year, another 10% rate hike, another $1,000 increase on your deductible, another hospital or doctor you can't go to because they're not in network. Isn't it time for a change? Stop the insanity. Call Marley Financial, the most innovative agency in the industry. Put an end to the annual increase. Give your employees a national network that all hospitals accept and reduce your monthly premiums by 20 to 30 percent. It doesn't matter when your renewal is. Marley can help today. Call 724-884-1496. Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. Or go to MarleyFG.com. The government is handing out money again. More stimulus money is making its way across America. Personally, I don't know what it means to you. But I do know this. Everyone, everyone is talking and thinking about money in the midst of a pandemic. Now, if you're ready to buy a house and thinking about your money, or you want to refinance or cash out refinance, well, truly, you do owe it to yourself to talk to the family at United Faith Mortgage, father and son, John and Ryan, John's wife, Denise, sister-in-law, Barbara. These are good people. It's why they're here on this station. And the direct lender advantage, truly, this is everything. So, stimulus payments, government money, pandemic, all this in the dark, bleak midwinter, someone's there for you. United Faith Mortgage. United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. MLS number 1330. Department of Banking. Mortgage Lender License number 22672. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary prepares students for ministry in the way of Jesus with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and Doctor of Ministry degree programs and certificates. Perfect for students with full-time employment pursuing a seminary education. Learn more at pts.edu. Losing business to online companies? Competitors using social media to rob you of sales. Is your current website five years behind the times or even one? Contact us at Salem Surround. Digital marketing that surrounds potential customers with your message wherever they engage, search, surf, socialize, or review. We offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness and suggest methods that could dramatically increase bottom line. Salem Surround takes the mystery of digital marketing off your shoulders, letting you do what you do best, run your business, while we deliver customers. Is your business taking full advantage of digital communication to reach more people? Are your competitors ahead of you? Now there are no limitations on where you can reach customers with Salem Surround. Total market penetration for increased ROI. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com, surroundpittsburgh.com connecting you with new customers. I expect it to be a lot easier. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. I didn't know what step to take next. I was transitioning from the military. I was a vehicle gunner. An avionics specialist. I was an MP, military police. 
My friends thought I could do anything. I missed my unit, my family. Playing with my daughter, I, I felt like a stranger. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't sleep. I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't have a clear sense of what to do next. I was too proud. And then I thought, if I'm going through this, other veterans have gone through it too, too right? I started to open up. And it made a huge difference. So I reached out and I saw that I wasn't alone. Because before I was able to take on my next mission, I had to take on just taking care of myself. To find purpose. purpose. Go to maketheconnection.net to learn how other veterans have overcome the challenges of transitioning out of the military. Teens in foster care will love you, even if you don't know the lingo. Dad bod. Noun. The result of the occasional donut always washed down with confidence. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh. On your smart speaker by saying, play the word, Pittsburgh. And on your phone via the Word FM mobile app. iHeart, tune in, and at radio.com. There was a video that was released today by a Japanese billionaire. And uh, in, the, in the video, he says, it'll take three days to get to the moon, loop behind it, and three days to get back. Uh, I will pay for the entire journey. Would you like to join me? Applications are due by March 14th with initial screenings starting soon after. Final interviews, medical checkups are scheduled to be completed by late May. The mission to fly around the moon and back, dubbed Dear Moon, is scheduled for 2023 on the SpaceX Starship. And though the spacecraft is still in the early stages of testing, Elon Musk says he is confident it will be ready in two years. And this Japanese billionaire um, is going to pay for my trip for eight people to join him on a flight around the moon. Mm-hmm. Would you? I'm not, no, I'm not doing that. What I would. Um, I reached out. I signed up. I love that you did that. Why not? How could you turn that down? I would imagine, too, they would take a cross-section with eight seats available. Right. right? Cross-section of America. So me, you know, Christian talk show host. I'm sure there's a seat reserved for that specific occupation. I mean, you need somebody to come along, I mean, and pray and, you know, help, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll be praying. Believe me, I'll be well, on that launch. Are you be no, I'll be praying. Heck so yeah. Mike and I are going to be praying because we're going to be like, he's crazy. No, no. I would love to do this. I know you would. I mean, I think it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you were like, you saw that and you thought this could be my future. This could be me. And I'm going to put my name on the dotted line. I feel confident. And I also think I'd really, I truly do believe that they would, they would call me. Okay. <laughs> I do. I, I'm confident that they would call me. Why you laugh? You both laugh. I see. (laughs) I'm just my certainty somehow, like you know. Isn't it ironic, Mike? Knowing John Hall as well as we do, that there's like 80 percent of the time when you are so down on all things about yourself, and then spontaneously, in a very (laughs) odd sector, you become astoundingly confident. What? This is my wheelhouse. (laughs) I was born to go to the moon. I have no doubt about this. Okay. I mean, really, when they, I filled that application out, they asked the basic questions, height, weight, you know, sex, which I'm glad they, t- I mean, there it was. 
why would I not be available for this? I listen, I'm super happy for you. Yeah. I, and I, I, I certainly for sure want them to call me too. Listen, I'm did, is there, was there any like date, like you should stay by your phone at this time on this particular day. They said, if you're selected, you, you'll expect a phone call and an email, which you had to include. Mm-hmm. I'm going to the moon. <laughs> I'm going to the moon. I am I'm going to the moon and I'm not Jackie Gleason to the moon, Alice, to the moon. Okay. Just saying. All right. Okay. And I'm sorry that you two would not want to even, not even bother to try to sign up. I, I never would consider that for like half of a second. Really? No, I believe that's for, for other people who are more skilled than me. Real, unskilled. What's a skill? You're sitting in a seat, basically. I don't know. I just feel like you ought to know something before you decide to sit in that seat. <laughs> I just feel like what I should. know is my desire. My desire supersedes all other things. That's all. Listen, anyway. all, I, all I know is I tried that uh, flight NASA rocket simulation in Florida and Disney. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was threw up right after. So you you would expect happening. to. It, I'm not doing that. I don't. Well, I think if I do believe much. if you were accepted, there would be any number of times that you would hurl. Yeah. Right. And then you would get used yeah, to it. Wouldn't and go, you be disqualified with the hurling? No, I don't think so. I think most people would. I think even astronauts themselves would. What do you know that though? Or are you just guessing? Well, you know that, I mean, I know this is for a fact that in the early days of any of the space programs, the rigors that they put you through, they force people to do that. They were reaching the limits. So they just want to see, you know, what you're made out of. Do you have the right stuff, John Hall? And the answer is yes. Hop on that rocket, my friend. Should we take a break? Oh my. Uh, sure. Let's take a break and All right. come back and somehow recover. Sign up. China, a Japanese billionaire seeks eight volunteers for SpaceX. Sorry, one of those seats may be taken. (laughs) The IRS doesn't mess around. If they want your money, they'll take it. They can take your paycheck and bank accounts, too, even threaten your home or business. Don't take on the IRS alone. If you owe back taxes, the smartest thing you can do is call Optima Tax Relief. The experts at Optima specialize in a powerful IRS tax assistance program called the Fresh Start Initiative. And their clients that qualify are saving thousands, even tens of thousands. One call starts the process to stop the demand letters, stop aggressive collection actions, and stop the IRS from targeting you. But don't delay. It's important to act now while you still have options. Optima is A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Optima has already resolved over a billion dollars of tax debt for their clients. Get your life back. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust, call Optima now for your free consultation. Call 800-965-1433. 800-965-1433. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. We've all been thinking a lot lately about the air we breathe. QDOT has been thinking about it for over 100 years, providing big HVAC solutions for the commercial industry, including healthcare, where air quality is paramount. Does your home deserve any less? For affordable solutions, including their new bipolar ionizer, which may eliminate up to 99.4% of airborne viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, breathe easier with QDOT. Call 412-366-6200 or visit QDOT.com. Your business is ready for a reboot, a recharge. The way our companies operate has changed. The changes haven't been easy, but there's help. The marketing team at Salem Surround gives you the tools needed to stand out and be visible to current and potential customers online right now looking for what you do. We can design a plan that targets potential customers with proven marketing strategies. Learn more at surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. 
If you believe placing your electronic devices on sleep or standby when connected to a network will prevent attacks by hackers, think again. They are susceptible to remote attacks. So whenever possible, turn your computer, tablet, or smartphone completely off or switch to the airplane mode located in your settings application. It's your first line of defense against hack attack. A public service message from the Consumer Electronics Association. Right now, there are young people across the world facing a tough choice. Continue their dream of education or drop out to help their family put food on the table. You can help change their future in a single moment. See how far your support can go at unbound.org. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary prepares students for ministry in the way of Jesus with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and Doctor of Ministry degree programs and certificates. Perfect for students with full-time employment pursuing a seminary education. Learn more at pts.edu. Listen on your smart speaker, the Word FM app at wordfm.com, iHeart, TuneIn, and on radio.com. In the car or at home, too, at 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. Tonight, we'll see mostly cloudy skies. Expect a low tonight of 31, turning much colder tomorrow. It'll be breezy with clouds giving way to some sunshine, the high only reaching 35. Tomorrow night, we'll see clear skies with a low of 20. Friday will be mostly sunny. It'll be breezy in the afternoon. We'll wrap up the work week with a high of 37. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. Back in the early 1960s, the United States government really made a concerted effort to fight a so-called war on poverty. And I, I do believe in those intervening decades that governmental programs have really helped to lift people up, especially on the margins, out of a life of poverty. However, the fact of the matter is, even here in 2021, there are still many, I would say, it's fair to say, I would say millions of people who are living in poverty in this country, not to say uh, really even to look at around the world. So what role does the government have in combating people's personal poverty? Well, Christine Jeske is with us. Christine's a regular guest on our show, professor of anthropology at Wheaton College, the author of three books. Her latest is called The Laziness Myth. And Christine, thanks for being with us to talk about poverty. Yeah, thanks. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Christine. So, you know, the news today is that, you know, uh, the president and Senate Democrats are, you know, trying to reach a deal on the uh, $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. And I know that COVID relief is just, you know, one sector of um, how we would look at poverty. But just, you know, hearing those news reports every day does kind of reinforce the idea that dealing with the poor is the government's job. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I'm no expert on how exactly the government should go about doing that. But the reality is that I think we often assume that uh, that either the government does, you know, depending on where you fall politically. Right. People have strong opinions about what the government does or doesn't do. Um, But the reality is that the government uh, does a lot and needs to do a lot. Um, Food aid, for example, I just was looking up recently that uh, over 90% of food assistance comes from the government, even though often what we, we see are food pantries and, and really, 40%. Um, kitchens and things like that. So No, 90%. Wow. 90%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So because it comes through like school lunches and school breakfast oh, sure, and, sure. Uh, and the SNAP program and, and all these things that are just at such a massive scale that churches can't do it, individuals can't do it. Uh, 
but I do think, you know, there's an important role to play in that extra 10% because the reality is for people who are living even on minimum wage jobs, the reality is that the food budget often doesn't make it to the end of the, the month and the housing budget doesn't make it to the end of the month a lot of times. So, uh, so I think there is a lot that individuals and churches and nonprofit organizations can do to fight poverty. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in this COVID era, Christine, I'm sure you've seen this or know, know people themselves who show up regularly. I mean, the food banks have done great jobs of mobilizing armies of people, putting together boxes of food, and people drive up in their cars. You see the long lines on the news and whatnot, and people are taken care of. So, you know, even that 10% or more, especially in the COVID era, people are pitching in and doing something, whether they're, you know, churches or secular groups. People are making sure that people have enough to eat, hopefully, uh, while we're in this COVID uh, time frame. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, it's been a neat turnout, I think, since COVID. I think the, the pandemic has caused a lot of people to be more grateful for what they have and yeah. be willing to show up and volunteer for things. But at the same time, the question is, how sustainable is it? And so I think we need to find sustainable ways to do this. And one thing I would say is uh, we need to find ways to really lo- walk alongside people long-term and and figure out how to um, not just make this a once-off thing we pat on our back and and go home, but really develop trust in relationships where we make a difference long-term. And I think that's the key word, that trust in the relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, a church that I used to attend, Christine, they had a once a month where they would do a food giveaway. And, you know, of course, people Uh would come in, you know, it was a means of, you know, trying to engage, not try, but to engage the community and in some ways to evangelize, but really just to be a part of the community. Now, um, the problem was that, you know, people from outside the community, the local community, knew about this, and then they would show up and take their food, and you'd never see them again. So the church, in some ways, not to punish anybody, but just to sort of regulate who was in the neighborhood or who was in the community, they sort of uh, sort of closed the window to people just within that specific zip code, which, you know, made some people upset, but really by closing that window a little bit, it helped the general population within the neighborhood where this, where the church was. So, I mean, I can see that. Um, I, I think that's a good way, you know, to be, who are you, what do you do? And to, you know, just be part of the local community. What do you think? Yeah, well, uh, it's a challenging situation. My own church has run into this question too, of how do you put limits on it? And that it sort of bumps into this reality that like, even if the government is uh, doing 90% of what, what is out there in terms of something like food aid, uh, it's not enough, right? And so, you, right. It, yeah, when you, you put that announcement out there that we're giving away mm-hmm. free food, this happens all over the place, right? That the, the need is greater than what can be given. So, um, yeah, it's tricky. And, and you don't want to have a situation where people come and are turned away and feel like they're judged or their, you know, their dignity. Like at the end of the day, poverty is also about the sense that your self-worth is fragile and your dignity is hurt and there's a stigma to it. And so you set up this program and somebody comes and then you tell them you're not welcome. Like that it's almost like, you know, kick you while you're down and make it even worse. So designing programs where, um, 
there are clear guidelines to it uh, can be really helpful. And also just so people don't waste their time. I mean, everybody coming on the bus across town to get that food donation, they get there and find out they're not eligible. Like, oh, what a letdown. So, right. You know, yeah. it's funny you bring yeah, this up because as a kid, we experienced that shame in our, in our household. I'm one of seven kids. So there were nine of us. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time going to um, my dad's company's uh, picnic. Like they would do a picnic. And we showed up just as we were walking into this picnic area and someone came over. I remember I was a little kid. They came rushing over to us and they said, hey, you know, you guys have won a food basket. And my mother, she was so mortified. She was so deeply embarrassed that someone was giving Mm -hmm. her food. I mean, there were nine of us. They weren't going to say no to us. We weren't, you know, I couldn't say we were living in poverty, but we weren't certainly living on, you know, the high end either. It it crushed my mother. I mean, she talked about that for weeks afterwards as though everyone around, she was ashamed of taking that food. Yeah. Right. And and that never, you don't get over that. Uh, There's nobody who lives in poverty who suddenly one day is like, I'm just going to be a person who wants to ask for food. And I think that's one of the misperceptions that people who are middle and upper class have is like, oh, people must be just trying to take advantage of the situation. And, uh, but nobody wants that. Everybody wants to be able to have a job and provide for yourself and not have to ask for um, assistance, um, you know, and, and just have this reminder that you're you're the poor one in this situation. So I think whatever we can do to set up situations where there's less shame and stigma um, and not kind of a judgmental feel when you're in a, in a hard position. Yeah, I agree with that. Dr. Christine Jeske is with us, professor of cultural anthropology at Wheaton College, author of three books, including the latest, The Laziness Myth, Narratives of Work and the Good Life in South Africa. Um, I, I often, um, yeah, I go to a church in the city. Um, we've had, um, you know, a lot of failures and successes in trying to address poverty in, you know, with members of our congregation and members of the community. Um, so, I, you know, I'm familiar with both things. Um, one thing I can say, though, that I've learned is that it's I think it's good to rely on people who know what they're doing, like people who are. Yeah either this is their work or this is their neighborhood or this is their church or whatever it is. I think that oftentimes well-intentioned people kind of walk into a situation kind of like tramping all over everything, you know, really wanting to help and yet kind of mucking it up because they just don't realize the nuances of what, you know what I mean, Christine? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, this is an expertise and there's a reason that people get master's degrees in things like social work or economic and community development. Um, You know, we wouldn't entrust somebody's physical health to a high school student. And yet we do this with people's emotional and uh, sort of spiritual health sometimes where we're just like, oh, we're going to send a whole bunch of high school students to do this this project and try to uplift the poor or something. And, um, and there's so much complexity to it. Like you want to come alongside people who are doing this professionally. Like our church just in the past few years has come alongside uh, school social workers and trying to, we have this benevolence fund that uh, our church has been, you know, gifted to be able to raise money that can help people like who are facing eviction or um, food insecure and we've been trying to figure out how do you distribute this well. And uh, in asking a lot of different organizations in the area who do this well, uh, we finally uh, came upon school social workers who were able to help us distribute this and connect to people in need. But, yeah, you got to come alongside people who who have that training and also the long-term connection 
to be able to figure out how to do that most effectively. So, yeah, I totally agree. Well, it is a very delicate matter, and uh, we're glad you brought this up, Christine. It's not something, you know, we think about regularly. How do you, with dignity, help those who are in need? So this is a good reminder for us. We appreciate your time here with us to talk about this. My pleasure. Yep. Thank you. Dr. Christine Jeske, professor of cultural anthropology at Wheaton College. Her latest book is called The Laziness Myth. WORD. Leading the way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Those who are not anchored in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, are going to buy into the ploy of the Antichrist. Dr. Michael Youssef. Those who have decided for themselves what they want to believe, how they're going to live, they will be mesmerized by the trickery of the Antichrist. Learn more this week on Leading the Way. Tomorrow morning at 6.30 on 101.5 WORD. I'm Dr. Baker, an ER physician. If you're having leg pain, swelling, or redness, but haven't talked to your doctor yet, don't wait. This could be deep vein thrombosis, a blood clot which could travel to your lungs and lead to a pulmonary embolism, which could cause chest pain or discomfort or difficulty breathing and be deadly. Your symptoms could mean something serious, so don't wait. Talk to a doctor right away by phone, online, or in person. Brought to you by Bristol Myers Squibb and Pfizer. Christchurch at Grove Farm invites you to our Men of Steel series on Wednesday evenings this Lenten season. We have gathered a powerful lineup of some of Pittsburgh's most prominent pastors to lead us through an evening of praise, prayer, and a focus on the Psalms as we seek God in the weeks leading to Easter. Join us as we hear from John Guest, Jay Passive, and Bishop Joseph Garlington, Rock Dilliman, Ed Glover, and John Nuzzo. To access these teachings and information on how you can safely attend in person or online, Head to our website, ccgf.org slash Lent. Hi, my name is Ryan Bourne. And I'm Danica Bourne. And, and we're, we're the, the owners, owners of South Coast, Coast Tax. We would like to thank our Lord for protecting us from evil. Psalm 91 states, He is my refuge and my fortress, for He will rescue us from every trap and protect us from deadly disease. South Coast Tax are Christian-based tax accountants and attorneys who specialize in releasing bank levies, wage garnishments, and filing complex tax returns. We are the leaders in acceptance of offers and compromise with awesome results. We are also a small firm who will treat you like family and not just a number. Call us today at 1-800-TAX-1176 for a free consultation, and we'll take the time to explain all the programs that you qualify for in order to allow you a fresh start. In John 836, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed, and one way we can achieve that is by being debt-free. So let us help you today. Call us at 1-800-TAX-1176, and together we can help achieve this goal by putting the IRS tax debt behind you for good. Again, that number is 1-800-TAX-1176. At Eden Christian Academy, hope is rising. Hope that is secure in God, that builds faith, and inspires a love that can't be stopped. Eden is where parents find hope in a true educational partner, where students see faith woven into every subject, and where teachers model the love of Christ to every child from pre-K through 12th grade. Schedule a personal tour at any of their three North Hills campuses and witness the hope, faith, and love that Eden can offer your child at EdenChristianAcademy.org. I don't think this is unusual, but when you read the book of Genesis, I mean, don't you go, 
That is incredible. What a fantastic, what? Tell me more. There's one incredible story after another in the book of Genesis. So how do you read it? Is Genesis the inerrant word of God? Is it is it the truth, 100%? Or is there story or analogy? Or how does this work? Dr. Trimper Longman is with us. Trimper Longman is Distinguished Scholar, Professor Emeritus of Biblical Studies at Westmont College in Santa... Uh, sorry. Santa Barbara. Santa, Santa Barbara. <laughs> <You're> no problem. <laughs> and he's written really more than 30 there, books. Did it? it did not. Are you... <laughs> Tremper, rescue me. I know you're from Santa. The rest of the part, I got nothing. <laughs> well, I, you're confused because I actually live in Alexandria, Virginia, even though I'm still a distinguished scholar at Claremont College in Santa there Barbara. We <laughs> there you. we go. We actually, think it's, actually, it's more because John was just telling me before we went to air that his printer's dying. So I yeah. think that's really the genesis of what oh, was there you go. troubling there you him. Go. Right. I mean, I can't figure out my printer, let alone Genesis, Tremper. So yeah. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Well, okay, Tremper. Well, yeah. yeah. So, Tremper, let me let me just uh, break in and let's start this way. Um, there are a few issues that John and I have talked about over the years that garner the most angst among listeners, or the most emails that we would get um, of complaint in our inbox, and um, one of them is issues related to creation. Um, now, mostly it's the, whether we're talking about six 24 hour days, or we're talking about eons or, you know, epochs or however you want to label it, whether it's an old earth or new earth thing. Um, so is that the kind of thing that you address in your book on Genesis, or are you talking about like a larger, you know, didactic of what, how the book reads? Uh, uh- both, actually. I, I probably address the nature of the days of Genesis more in my Confronting Old Testament Controversies book or my Genesis commentary, but I do talk about it in the How to Read Genesis book as well. Good. Uh, and okay, so what do, you, what do you think is important? For, question. What do you think yeah. is important for us uh, to well, know? Okay, first of all, I would say that, um, and again, you'll probably get some more emails about this. Everybody has a strong opinion about it, (laughs) or they can direct them to me. But uh, the point is that Genesis 1 and 2 are talking about history. They're talking about things that actually happened in the past. God created everything. And uh, and he and that's the the message, of particularly Genesis one, which has this more cosmic, you know, creation of the universe perspective, contrasted with Genesis two, which talks has a focus on the creation of human beings, which is talked about in Genesis one as well. Um, my own view is that. Um, Genesis 1 is telling us that God created everything, but not intending to tell us how he did it. And it's actually using an Israelite work week as a kind of uh, metaphor or figure in order to tell us that. And I think there are good indications within the text that were not to take it as teaching us that God actually created creation in six 24-hour days followed by an unbending Sabbath. And the most notable of those is the fact that there are uh, six days that are described as having evenings and mornings, including the first three days, and there are no sun, moon, and stars on day four. So in order to 
think that there's a 24-hour day with evenings and mornings, which are defined by um, the rising and setting of the sun, which doesn't exist till the fourth day if you take it kind of literally or at base value as trying to teach you what God, how God is doing it. Um, you have to get creative about <laughs> about how God makes these 24-hour uh, sequences or phases. Uh, but when it comes down to it, an evening is when uh, is and the morning are defined by the rising and setting of the sun. And this was recognized all the way back in the early church. This is not a new invention. Church fathers like St. Augustine and uh, Origen and many others uh, said, you know, we're not reading Genesis 1 to get a description of of uh, how God did it. I'm sorry, I'm talking a long time, but there's one other feature that I need to mention, and that is the sequence of the days are interesting in this regard, too, in that the first three days create uh, describe the creation of realms that are filled by the inhabitants of the next three days. So, for instance, on day one, you have the creation of light and darkness. On day four, sun, moon, and stars, which live in the light and darkness. Day two, sea and uh, and, sea and uh, uh, sky, and the birds and fish are on day five, and then land on day three uh, with animals and human beings created on day six. So it seems that there's this interesting literary structure to uh, the days that may suggest that it's not giving us the actual sequence. Again, that doesn't mean that God didn't create everything. He created everything, including human yes. beings. Right. So, Trevor, I mean, I, I, I agree with this. I, I, I believe that the, the day is a flexible day, that it is not a 24-hour day. This is just what I believe. Now, saying that, you know, and of course you referenced that, this is inflammatory for a lot of people, right? This is a deal breaker in many ways about the truth of the Bible, the inerrancy of God's word. Oh, yeah, and it shouldn't be <laughs> because um, cause what inerrancy means is that the Bible is true and everything it intends to teach. So then the question comes, what is Genesis 1 intending to teach us? And it's intending to teach us a whole bunch of things but not how God did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not something that the ancient audience to whom this book was written was interested in. Uh, we're interested in those kind of origin questions, but uh, if you study, you know, the Bible in ancient Near Eastern setting, you see that's not something, that's not a question that was really interesting to people until probably the Greco-Roman period. So, um, yeah. Hmm. All right. Dr. Tremper Longman with this distinguished scholar and professor emeritus of biblical studies at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. He's authored or co-authored more than 30 books. Um, we're talking about how to read Genesis. All right. So, um, so if, if we want to get away from the controversy, some people don't, some people yep. like to live in the controversy, but if we yeah, want to get away true. from the controversy and look at the book of Genesis, not as like what camp we want to be in, but what the book has to teach us, talk about yeah. the days of creation. What's important? What do you think the Holy Spirit is trying um, or would be trying to convey to humankind? 
Yeah, and actually, I, I think we need to start but not end with what is the message to the original audience uh, who are tempted to think that other gods are the creator, like Baal and Marduk. And this is a strong assertion that it's God who did it. And it also is helping us understand the nature of this God, which is unique in the ancient Near Eastern world, you know, because other ancient Near Eastern countries have, uh, or nations have religions that have multiple gods and that uh, talk about the creation in terms of a conflict between say the god of cre- the god who creates everything from the body of the sea monster and all that kind of stuff and it's also teaching you know and then the gods are associated with the sun moon and stars where genesis uh one makes it very clear that the sun moon and stars are not gods themselves mm-hmm. they're creation they are um god's creation and um oh there's so much that we learn from genesis 1 You know, on the sixth day, God creates humans in his image, and we learn so much about humanity uh, when we reflect on what it means to be created in the image of God so much that maybe we ought to talk about that in (laughs) another subsequent um, conversation. Yes, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) because that's a fascinating question about what does it mean to be created in the image of God. Uh, We learned that this God, as opposed to other conceptions of God, is both other than creation but also involved with creation. Um, There's just so much that Genesis 1 teaches, and that's the sad part about getting involved in the controversy about the length of the days. We need to have the conversation, don't get me wrong, but we shouldn't get so into that that we miss all the really important teaching that Genesis 1 imparts to us. And... um, and again, I think I think some people misconstrue the question as is it myth or is it sort of straightforward history. I think uh, the, if you read it in its ancient context, you understand that it is history, but it's describing God's great act of creation using a lot of figurative language. Hmm. Okay, Dr. Tremper Longman is with us, a distinguished scholar, professor emeritus of biblical studies at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. Um, You said something I think is really significant, Tremper, which is that the more, and I think this is probably the case with every controversy, the more you focus on the controversy, the more you often lose sight of the important things that are right there next to you, if you would just, you know, leave the contentious part behind. Um, And you've given us a lot, yeah, you've given us a lot to uh, focus on, uh, at least to think about in uh, Genesis 1. So how about next time we talk about image of God? That'd be fabulous. Terrific. Trevor, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate your time here. Thanks, John and Kathy. Bye-bye. Trevor Longman, his latest book is called The Bible and the Ballot, Using Scripture in Political Decisions. Take a break, come back. How about this new form of art? Some home repairs simply can't wait for spring, especially a leaky roof or drafty old windows. You can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, windows, gutters and downspouts, siding, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Don't put it off. Right now, Windows R Us offers 12 months no-interest financing and no-processing fee through Dollar Bank. 
Get new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office. Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, or composite. To show their appreciation to word listeners, you'll also get 10% off your total project when you mention this station. Get 12 months no interest, no processing fee, and 10% off. Backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsruspittsburgh.com. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. We pay your appraisal fees up to $500. United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. MLS number 1330. Department of Banking. Mortgage Lender License number 22672. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents... And Doug. Breathe out. And repeat after me. Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance, so you only pay for what you need. Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance, so you only pay for what you need. Your bird is eating my candles. Your bird is eating my candles. No, seriously, he's making a mess. No, seriously. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Get a customized quote at LibertyMutual.com. Christ Church at Grove Farm invites you to our Men of Steel series on Wednesday evenings this Lenten season. We have gathered a powerful lineup of some of Pittsburgh's most prominent pastors to lead us through an evening of praise, prayer, and a focus on the Psalms as we seek God in the weeks leading to Easter. Join us as we hear from John Guest, Jay Passivant, Bishop Joseph Garlington, Rock Dilliman, Ed Glover, and John Nuzzo. To access these teachings and information on how you can safely attend in person or online, head to our website, ccgf.org slash Lent. There was a parade in my neighborhood yesterday. Julia Parsons, who is a World War II veteran, for decades maintained that she worked a quiet, ordinary desk job during World War II. In reality, her job was anything but ordinary. Now, Julia Parsons was one of thousands of women whose little-known story of deciphering encrypted messages sent by the Japanese and the German forces played a pivotal role in helping the Allies win World War II. So Julia Parsons in 1942, uh, fresh out of Carnegie Tech, which of course now is Carnegie Mellon University, she uh, was reading the newspaper and she saw that the Navy was accepting women for a unit called Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service or WAVES. So after joining and completing three months of general training, she was sent to a communications annex in Washington, D.C., in her group, they were asked if anybody spoke German. And so she raised her hand, Julia Parsons did, because she took two years of German in high school. And she says, you know, that hardly qualified me for much of anything in the translations line. But they sent me right off to the section where I worked decoding German submarine traffic. Now, from there, 
the first computers that were ever developed, they were called BOMB, B-O-M-B-E. She assisted in uncovering messages that the German high command sent to its submarines. Decoding would reveal where the submarines planned to meet, their mission destinations, and the weather conditions. More mundane personal messages that would have typically been sent by mail related to family deaths, new babies, upcoming weddings were also decoded. Now, here's the thing. Kathy, I mean, this is an amazing story. Julia Parsons, for years, she had to live this life of secrecy because Mm -hmm. she was told when she left the war, these are classified. You can never speak of this. Now, uh, I'm reading from several different different sources, the Tribune Review, the Post-Gazette. She says that after the war was over, she literally was shocked to find herself in the kitchen of her home as a married woman taking care of her kids. That she had done, you know, espionage, essentially. And she could not tell anyone about this story. She, she told her husband, but no one else. Now, fast forward, her husband passes away. After being married for 62 years. She goes to visit a friend who was also a decoder. And they go to a museum. Uh, this museum in Washington, D.C. And in this museum, they see the computer, the bomb, on public display. And she turns to her friend and says, I thought we weren't allowed to talk about this. Well, a decade or so earlier, the government had declassified this information, but because they didn't have, you know, forwarding information for those people, she never knew about it. So she kept quiet until she went and saw a display of this. But now she started to talk about it yesterday was her 100th birthday in Forest Hills. And the people in the township and the community, they did a very slow drive-by birthday celebration. She's gotten both of her COVID shots. She's good to go. She recently went to the grocery store for the first time. She's happy to share a story. Isn't that absolutely terrific? I love it so much. I mean, so she, has, she had three children who never knew until the 90s like I think it was 93, she said, that she found out that 1997 is when she told her kids what she'd done. (laughs) I mean, can can you imagine your mom telling you, oh, I was a I was a code breaker. I was a German code breaker, by the way. Yeah. You know, it it is what you said there, John, about her being shocked to be in her kitchen, like taking care of her kids and her husband and everything. There were so many women who I bet had that same like whiplash feeling yeah. where, you know, everything that they were doing in the war was of such great consequence, you know, for the future of humanity. Right. And everybody recognized that. And they certainly recognized that in each other. And then they came home and each went into their own house where nobody really recognized. There, no. Like all of a sudden things didn't seem as important. Well, even as even how many millions of women, you know, stayed behind ro- and did Rosie the Riveter work. My mom worked in a factory in World War II. Mm-hmm. And then the war is over and they were like, they essentially said, hey, thanks. Uh, you know, guys are coming home. Your job is, uh, you know, just eliminated because a, a guy needs your job. Right. Of course, that would never happen today. But that was the time, right? Right. And it happened all over. Yeah. It happened all over Western Europe. That was the way it was everywhere. It wasn't just so, an American phenomenon. Anyway, I, I, I look back at, at women like that and I think, you know, 
we just can't imagine what we owe to people like Julia. Parsons. Oh my gosh. And the cool thing is, so yesterday she turned a hundred. She said that, you know, she's still active. Her attitude is I can do anything. She's active on her laptop or her iPad. She can play bridge online, but she does, you know, worry about her contemporaries because their attitude is I can't do that. So they fall behind and then they, you know, they lose that connection with those people around them. Right. She said she's the only one of her bridge partner friends that actually is comfortable on the internet. Wow. So happy birthday, happy Julia birthday, Parsons. Julia. 100 years old. Congratulations and thank you for your service. Ask Alexa to play the word Pittsburgh to hear us there. We're on your Google speaker too. Plus iHeart, tune in and on radio.com. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Biden says the U.S. expects to take delivery of enough coronavirus vaccine for all adults by the end of May. That's two months earlier than anticipated. He's also pushing states to get at least one shot in the arms of teachers by the end of March to hasten school reopenings. The Pentagon says U.S. contractor died when at least 10 rockets slammed into an airbase housing U.S. and other coalition troops in western Iraq. The contractor suffered a cardiac episode while sheltering and died shortly afterward. The Border Patrol says 13 people killed in that Southern California crash on Wednesday morning were among a total of 44 people who entered the U.S. through a hole cut in the border fence with Mexico. Stocks finishing lower, the Dow fell 121 points. The Nasdaq was off 361 today. This is SRN News. When it comes to your child's education, do you feel like you have a partner in your current school? Or is it more like you're on your own? As you look ahead to next year, now's a perfect time to consider a quality Christian education with a school who will be a true educational partner for you and your family. Many of our area's finest Christian schools are offering half-price tuitions for first-time enrollees, like Champion Christian School in Champion, PA. Find a school that's right for you at wordfm.com slash tuitions. With a moo-moo here and a moo-moo there, here a moo, there a moo, everywhere a moo-moo. Hi, it's me, Marsha, from the Springhouse. And I'm Donnie, one of the 11 cousins growing up on the Springhouse farm. Hey, Mommy, what's coming up at the Springhouse? I'm glad you asked, buddy. We're celebrating the entrance of spring with our spring ham and turkey dinner this Sunday. Are we having that yummy smoked ham that Bill smokes in the smokehouse with real hickory wood? Yep, an old-fashioned roast turkey and homemade stuffing, real mashed potatoes and turkey gravy, sweet potato pie, and all kinds of goodies. And what's for dessert? My favorite part. Just like an old-fashioned church supper, we'll have coconut cream pie bars and all kinds of yummy family recipe cakes, too. Am I making you hungry, bud? Yes. Can I have some now? Nope. We'll have to wait for this Sunday, starting at noon and going all day. Tell our friends where to find us, hun. Check us out at springhousemarket.com or 724-228-3339. The following is a paid announcement. The advertiser was paid a marketing fee for a digital campaign. Please make sure to review our disclaimer on our report page. The new year is here, and the time is now to capitalize on the EV stocks boom in the U.S. markets. Text the word TRADE to 48542. Here's a great opportunity that we've uncovered in the electronic vehicle space, and it's a great time to explore the massive profit potential of the EV sector with your free subscription to Energy Market Today when you text the word TRADE to 48542. The world is scrambling for sufficient nickel and lithium 
lithium supply for the EV industry. We've identified a company that could be well-positioned as the EV market drives demand for these materials. According to analysts, total EV sales are expected to grow from approximately 2.5 million units in 2020 to around 11.2 million units in 2025, then reach about 31.1 million vehicles sold worldwide by 2030. Get your free subscription to Energy Market today when you text the word TRADE to 48542. Text the word TRADE to 48542. This is Tim Seckler inviting you to tune in each and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by my law firm, the Seckler Law Firm. Each week, we'll talk about your family's well-being as it relates to elder law, nursing home stays, estate planning, and keeping your hard-earned savings. And if you missed the Life and Legacy Show, you will find it archived at secklerlawfirm.com. See you Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show. Tonight, we'll see mostly cloudy skies. Expect a low tonight of 31, turning much colder tomorrow. It'll be breezy with clouds giving way to some sunshine, the high only reaching 35. Tomorrow night, we'll see clear skies with a low of 20. Friday will be mostly sunny. It'll be breezy in the afternoon. We'll wrap up the work week with a high of 37. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. You know you live in western Pennsylvania when you feel good when you see the sun shining. Oh, my right? gosh, yes. And it's, it's such a rare thing, and you get like multiple days in a row, you think, oh, my gosh, it just changes everything, I does it not? couldn't yeah. agree more. Well, anyway, thanks for coming along for the 5 o'clock hour of The Ride Home with uh, John and Kathy. That's a, that's Kathy and I. We're streaming right now on Facebook. You can find us there, uh, The Ride Home on Facebook, of course, at wordfm.com as well. And WPIT. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a, a decade or so ago, we were on a family vacation, and uh, I found myself in a hotel room. And I turned on the, the TV set, and uh, it was there that I discovered – Turner Classic Movies. Oh, my gosh. Did you hear trumpets? I Violins. I couldn't believe, quite honestly, what I was watching. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I know it's, it's been around. for you. It, so, uh, you know, we went through a period, a long period, where, you know, young family, you know, we're saving money. We don't need cable. We don't need any. So we didn't have cable for a long, long time. And uh, I had to lobby hard. Boy, I had to work hard to get cable. Primarily because I wanted to see Turner Classic Movies. It, it is, to me, the go-to station. I mean, it, Channel 230 on my cable box, that's where I'm going. But if I'm turning on the TV set, I got some downtime, want to watch the tube, I'm watching Turner Classic. Uh, the mix of the movies, the styles, the, the history, the acting, I just love it so much. So I, I saw a piece uh, today that now... Because we live in this really, you know, fraught political environment where, you know, dare I say the word, we are, we are all woke to some large degree or another, where Mr. Potato Head is somehow really dangerous to people. Turner Classic Movies uh, is confronted with this weird reality of watching Hollywood's most celebrated films that apparently, you know, have stereotypes and tropes, and it makes people angry. 
So um, case in point, Gone with the Wind. Mm, sure. Uh, look, you see Gone with the Wind and you see the mammies in the film. Right. You see the treatment of, of black characters in that film. You know, you just know that's wrong. But what I love is, you know, um, if you don't know or if you need some perspective about that historically, now Turner Classic is going to do a series that's going to last all through the months of Mar- month of March. Every Thursday, they're going to air movies that are, they're going to have hosts who talk about the film in the historical perspective. This is what happened when the film, this is what was going on when the film was first written, produced, and then shown. This is what people thought about it. These were the reviews. And then people will inform you, these really wonderfully knowledgeable film critics and historians will talk about what it looks like now Mm. and how Mm. we not necessarily should think about it, but can think about it. And there's there's a whole variety of films kicking off tomorrow night, of course, is the aforementioned Gone with the Wind, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, My Fair Lady, Stagecoach, Woman of the Year, and Children's Hour, all of those. Also, the film Psycho, which you may think, Psycho, what's up with Psycho? All of them have different elements where people have chimed in. They find offensive or think that there should be some reckoning of the historical record about that movie. What do you think, Kath? I love it. Yeah. You know why I love it? Hmm. Because they could have decided we're never... We're banning these movies. I mean, that's basically what Amazon's doing right now. But they're classics. All With, these films okay. are classics. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're classics or not. The point is, is that you shouldn't be banning books or you shouldn't be banning films. We just we, we should be people who are mature enough to engage with ideas that we don't like, right? Yep. We've been talking over the last couple of days about um, Amazon deciding to discontinue uh, the uh, selling of uh, Ryan Anderson's book, uh, When Harry Became Sally. Right. Now, to me, I think that's ridiculous. I think I think it's censorship. Um, maybe I, I don't know if I'd call it censorship, but it's it's bordering on censorship sure because is. of the platform, because of the hugeness of Amazon, that if Amazon decides not to sell your book, then it basically means that no one's going to buy your book. Right. right. So they have they have an inordinate amount of power. And to me, they don't have to endorse his book. Right. As I said the other day, they're selling Mein Kampf on Amazon. I certainly hope that the Amazon uh, leadership is not endorsing that, but they're still selling it. You know why? Because we are a mature human group that is supposed to be able to listen to things and evaluate them and make value judgments on our own. Anyway, that was a very long way of saying I love what Turner Classic Movies are doing because it's the exact opposite. It's saying, okay, so these are a bunch of films that like have some really like shaky stuff in them. So let's watch them and let's talk about it. Right. Let's, let's air actually it out. engage with it, which is the same thing. You know, if someone is concerned about a statue someplace, instead of saying this statue should come down, how about just let's get together and talk about this. Stat- what, what is this teaching us? You know, what was going on then? What's going on now? Where are we? We don't have to scrub history of the things that we don't approve of. Right. History so, is history. It was what it was. So one of the uh, the hosts on the Turner Classic, uh, she's a woman who's a film historian. And um, I'm sorry, what's her name? Uh, Joe, Jacqueline Stewart. She's a black woman. Uh, her specialty, oddly enough, was silent films. But wow. uh, since, you know, she's made a splash talking about even silent films. I mean, you know, Birth of a Nation. I mean, it's oh, a deeply racist film, right? So she's broken that down. So the producers from Turner Classic said, let's do this series together. She says this, 
and I'm reading from the Washington Post. She says, I think there's something to be learned from any work of art. They're all historical artifacts that tell us a lot about the industry in which they were made, the cultures that they were speaking to, so we should engage. Jacqueline Stewart for president. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? That You know what that is? Reasonable. It's adult. I mean, instead of crying out loud, we should hear more those good for her. Anyway, I'm still hot about Mr. Potato Head (laughs) and Dr. Seuss. Well, Dr. Seuss, you know, the Dr. Seuss thing, I believe, was misrepresented by the I think it was, too. I think it was, too. I think that was blown out of proportion, especially since we're talking about three books that no one's ever read. Yeah. I mean, six books. And you know what? And they're not saying we're, we're, you know, we're going to ban. They're just saying we're not going to publish these books anymore. That's all. And the fact that it was their own, the Seuss people that decided to do that, it's their, that's their choice. They should be allowed to do that. Yeah, I agree. Anyway. Tempest take a break? teapot, John. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Dean Weaver's next. He's going to join us. We're talking about this era that we live in. Uh, how do pastors exhi- exhibit leadership in this digital age? What tools are at their disposal? We'll talk about that next. If you're a Christian, you believe Jesus is God. But could you explain to a friend why believing in the deity of Christ is essential for a Christian? And in practical terms, what effect should this doctrine have on your daily life? Consider those questions this week as John MacArthur shows you the importance of rediscovering the Christ of Scripture. Be here for grace to you. Tomorrow morning at 7 on 101.5 WORD. Well, by now, you all heard me talk about my pillow and how it's really a great, very comfortable pillow. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape, and they're made in the USA. Now, for a limited time, MyPillow is offering the premium MyPillows for the lowest price ever. You can get a queen-size premium MyPillow for $29.98. They are regularly $69.98. It's a $40 savings. Kings are only $5 more. All MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code WORD. You'll also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets, or call 800-391-0954. Use promo code WORD. Or right now, MyPillow.com. Dot com. MyPillow.com. Hi, my name is Tanya Ettinger, the Pittsburgh wedding planner and your luxury event concierge. Oh my, do you have to plan your wedding yet again? You don't know how many guests you're allowed to have at your wedding? Do you have to wear a mask or not? Your venue's not calling you back? It doesn't have to be that way. I am pandemic on-site protocol certified and I'm the solution to your wedding problems. At Weddings of Pittsburgh, my team and I will make your dreams come true. We attend to your every need so you don't have to lift a finger or worry about anything. Relax, leave the stress behind, and enjoy the adventurous experience that my magic will provide you. Go to WeddingsofPittsburgh.com, fill out the contact form, and enjoy the wedding you've always dreamed of. Tanya Edinger with Weddings of Pittsburgh. Let's make magic. If you'd like a smartphone that's really smart, download the OnePlace.com app. 
the app that will inspire your faith daily and provide answers to the biggest questions of all. One Place lets you download your favorite pastor's programs and listen even offline or in airplane mode with easy connections to your Bluetooth speaker or dashboard. To download your free One Place app, visit the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store for your Android device and search for One Place. That's One Place. So, in this weird COVID era we've been living in these past 12 months, I think everyone's had to adopt in some way, adapt in some way. How do you go to church? How do you engage mm-hmm. as a father or a mother? Right. What does it look like, you know, to be an employee, to be a manager, to whatever. Everyone's making these adaptations in their life. And you can only imagine what a pastor is going through. Goodness gracious, I can't imagine, you know, reconfiguring worship and trying to convene elders and deacons and all that. Adaptive leadership. What exactly is adaptive leadership? Dean Weaver is with us. Dean's the stated clerk at the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, co-founder and former president of Edu Nations. Dean, friend, welcome back. How are you? Thank you, John. Kathy, good to be with you again. Always happy to welcome you here, Dean. And this is an era where everyone's, at least the people who are succeeding are adapting. Um, Those of us who, you know, on a bad day decide we don't want to adapt. I know we just are (laughs) going to be left behind, right? Mm. I mean, that's, that's where we are. Well, it it really is. um, I've been saying to people that COVID-19 and the quarantine has not necessarily created something new, but it's shown a light on something that's already been all along. And and one of the things it's shining a light on is that there are people who, uh, when disruption comes, adapt and adjust. And there are people who dig their heels in and just don't because of a whole variety of reasons. Um, And and we're seeing the differences. And there are, I've talked to pastors who thrived uh, during the shutdown because of this kind of adaptation And there are others who are just like deer caught in the headlights. And so, I mean, I think it it doesn't make us something we want already, but it has created a space where people are either learning um, to figure out how to adapt to their circumstances or uh, they're fighting against uh, what is seemingly inevitable change and really struggling. Mm -hmm. So, Dean, you're really a particular uh, interesting case study because decades as a pastor at a local church, then you were called to lead an entire denomination, the Evangelical Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Talk about adaptive. Now, you've had to adapt to a major change in your life and in your career and geographically as well, but you're also talking to pastors now who are looking to you for leadership and how they themselves can navigate through this weird era. So adaptive times 10. Well, and so it's not... It's not theoretical for me, John. It's practical. Um, and, and that's one of the important, maybe first things to know about adaptive change is that leaders who help people lead through times such as this, they have to go through the transformation uh, before they can lead others or as they're leading others. They, so, yeah, you've got to do that. It's incarnational. And, you know, I'm not smart enough to have figured that out. God just threw me in the deep of the sharks. And, you know, you learn to swim real fast. And, and I just, I, going through the change I'm going through personally caused me to take a deep dive into what does it look like to manage transitions and deal with adaptive change and lead in that context. 
And now I find myself in conversations with people all the time, all around the country, where that topic, which is very personal for me, is really where most of us are as leaders. And I think we really are, and this is important uh, for pastors who are listening to know and for their parishioners or congregation members to hear, we're moving into a time where pastors who have been pastors and preachers who lead people need to become leaders who pastor and preach to people. Like the emphasis Mm -hmm. from the one to the other, it sounds very subtle, but it's an important phase shifting because a lot of the ways in which we have uh, pastored or the ways in which we have preached, which were expressions of leadership, um, we have to recalibrate to where we are today to be the leaders who are leading as we pastor and preach. And that that is the beginning of the adaptation to the change of the times in which we're in. Now, does that indicate from your perspective, Dean, that that was something, you know, that we should have been, that that's a, a thought pattern or a, um, uh, a way of looking at things that we always should have had and just kind of got waylaid? Or is this something that is just kind of, I don't know, a new plan for a new era? That's a great question, Kathy. And I think, unfortunately, it's the first thing you said. Mm, Um, As I've been digging into this, uh, there had really smart people saying this for some time, Uh, like prophets crying in the wilderness. But most of us had our heads down, um, unwilling to look up and see, oh, my gosh, the landscape around us has changed dramatically. Um, You know, so I I think, um, you know, most of us have been thinking for some time that we're moving into a post-Christian era. The, the, the days of kind of a, a nationalized Christendom have come to a close, and people are grieving, or they're angry, or they're frustrated, or they're maybe even elated over that. But the reality is many of us for some time have seen uh, that we're not in Kansas anymore, and things have changed. And and so there are people like uh, uh, probably the, the best books I could encourage people to consider is, is Todd Bolsinger's book, Canoeing the Mountains. Um, and, and he wrote that a while ago. He's just come out with another book more recently. But you read that book right now, and you could swear he wrote it this year, um, knowing what we now are experiencing uh, from the lockdown. Um, but the, the principles that, that he is espousing there about leadership uh, in a post-Christian era have just been shown in the great light of now what will be the post-COVID era. And it, it's the, the things that he spoke about then are now coming to greater realization, and people are seeing it and going, oh, my gosh, we have to lead differently. Wow. Dean Weaver's with us. He's the stated clerk at the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, Dean, so then talk about this. Where we are right now, uh, you know, some places are opening up. We're still in this kind of mushy era. This digital church we're going to, I mean, I know people say, um, I love staying home on Sunday mornings and I don't necessarily have to go to church anymore. Uh, I like, you know, my people that I hang out with, you know, my fellow parishioners, I, I know my small group, but I'm in no hurry to get back. I mean, this is a danger to the church, but it's also a benefit to the church too, isn't it? Well, and I think that's part of the problem or challenge, John, of adaptive change is that, you know, what things do we let go of to grab onto new realities that could propel us forward? 
And, and what things do we have to hold on to? Because if we were to let go of them, something about us would fundamentally change. Mm-hmm. And that's the real tension. And I think, you know, this is still an emerging reality for us. I don't, I don't think this is what um, uh, Bill Bridges in his classic book, Managing Transitions, he calls this the neutral zone. Um, and the neutral zone is this fearful, chaotic place where mm. things that were certain are not certain anymore. Uh, and yet it's also a time of great creativity and, and innovation. And so this is a time where we should be more permission giving uh, and say, you know what, let's try this. Uh, and we're not, you know, we're, let's try new methods. Let's try, uh, you know, the, the thing I think you were interested in, John, is this this Barna book that came out on digital prayer. You know, let's let's try it. Now, let's also evaluate it. Let's make sure that you know it, it's leading to good practices and behaviors and, and authentic discipleship. Let's not just you know take the digital route because it's convenient or people don't want to get off the couch right. on Sunday mornings. Right. But the reality is people aren't getting off the couch. And so we can stomp our feet and we can, you know, wave our fists at the air, uh, or we can say, you know what, how does the digital church become the front door, not the back door? And let's think about that carefully and let's try an experiment. Let's innovate. Let's do things. And you know what? If they fail, it's okay. Let's learn from those failures and come back and improve and grow and do better. Because the reality is we're not going back to Egypt. We're going into a new land, and it, it's a little ominous. It's a little foreboding. It's overwhelming. But the reality is God, who has gone before us before, is going before us again. And if we would follow him, um, I think we could, we could uh, live into the inheritance and the promises he has for us in this post-COVID land. The Reverend Dr. Dean Weaver is with us. He's stated clerk of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, also co-founder and former president of EduNations. Um, Dean, I want to ask you about small churches um, and how this is particularly challenging. Um, you know, when you're when you're talking about technology and you know trying to figure out what the next step is, it often requires a significant financial investment. That is a really big deal for a lot of churches, right? So if you've got a big church budget, you can try something out. And if it doesn't work, eh, you know what I mean? Um, but if it does good, but you're not really risking as much, whereas a little church, you know, they put $10,000 into something that could be like their biggest expenditure of the oh, whole yeah. year. So how, so talk to people who work in little churches and say like, how did it, it's hard to make decisions now in this room. So- there are a lot of things that even the small church or under-resourced churches can do to be really, you know, uh, take advantage of this time and resource themselves well. So, for example, there are going to be a podcast that they can look to. Uh, one of the podcasts I encourage people to listen to is Carrie Newhoff's podcast on leadership. That's free, right? And he has, uh, when you sign up for his stuff, he sends you all these things. And you can pick and choose what you want in those things. Some are, most of them are free. Some things lead to other paid sort of stuff, but there's a lot of free stuff out there. And his stuff on leadership is as good for the church as anything. And people can access that for free. They can get on Zoom for free. They can get on social media for free. There's a lot of things 
that they can do that don't require a huge financial outlay that will get them, get their toes wet, if you will, in, into some of the digital waters. Um, now, they may not be able to do the high quality production value that the larger church can do. But you know what? The people who are attracted to the smaller church aren't necessarily attracted to it for the high glossy finish. They're attracted to it for the for the emerge for the sense of, of community, for yeah. connection, relationships. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Kathy, one of the adaptations we're seeing is that Gen Z and the younger millennials, they want to be, many of them, part of smaller church fellowships rather than these big enormous churches. And so there's still a place for, for the large church, obviously, and the resources and things they offer. But the small church, with its relational accountability and connections and all of the things that happen in that kind of community, what the small church has to do, because they can oftentimes be very closed off to welcoming new people, they have to find a way, and this is their adaptation, they have to find a way of welcoming in new members to their small church family who want to be in a small church family, but need some space to move around and learn how to be themselves and grow in their faith there. So they have to learn to become welcoming so that they can continue for the next generation. But there will be there will be opportunity there for them because a lot of people will be looking for smaller fellowships to connect with. That's good. I agree with that. Well, Dean, thanks. I mean, uh, to talk about the mushy place that we are now and also to give us the hope that, of course, God is with us. Uh, it's a good and interesting and a very odd place that we're all existing in 2021. Thanks for being with us. You offer encouragement. Well, I'm glad to be with you guys. And just remember, you can come into a time like this and you can be fearful or you can be faithful. Mm. It is either an obstacle or it is an opportunity. And our God is a God who can give us the faith to overcome the obstacles and seize the opportunity that is before us. And that is where the kingdom uh, becomes real. So um, it's it's a little disorienting. I, I totally get that. I feel that. But um, our God is sovereign, he's faithful, and I think if you will follow him uh, into this and let go of some of those things, uh, you, you'll find that uh, he who has led us before it will lead us yet again. That's a good word. That's Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. All right, we're going to step away, but when we come back, does this, in fact... Make sense? Does it make sense? Probably not. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-555-1509. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-555-1509. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-555-1509. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. 
He's on meds, too. Call 800-555-1509. 800-555-1509. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary prepares students for ministry in the way of Jesus with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and Doctor of Ministry degree programs and certificates. Perfect for students with full-time employment pursuing a seminary education. Learn more at pts.edu. I think it's fair to say that we live in very contentious times. And I don't know about you, of course, when you look at the sweep of history, we've been here before. But there's something about the age we live in now where people wear their wokeness or their outrage or whatever it is that they claim as their demeanor on their sleeve. And it is above all, be all, the most important thing in their lives. Right. So people who say, I'm a conservative or I'm a Trumper or I'm a never Trumper or whatever it is, however people want to approach it, that's like their calling card. That's the environment that they see themselves in, the family that they say they come from, and the only community they want to be a part of. Oftentimes at the most important thing, which is all of us are children of God. I don't know about you, but getting a quality education, especially a Christ-centered education, is a very difficult thing in this day and age. That's why Kath and I are very happy our children have been at Grove City College. It's important to claim who you are, but more important to know that you're a child of God as you involve yourself in rigorous studies. So when college students look at the world, is it just about being a conservative or being woke, or is it about something bigger and broader and more important than that? One of the reasons that we love Grove City is because they look at the whole person. And so we ask you if you'd like to investigate a school that's going to train your child in something bigger and better, consider Grove City, gcc.ed. We are everywhere on your radio at 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh at wordfm.com, the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, tune in, and at radio.com. Tonight, we'll see mostly cloudy skies. Expect a low tonight of 31, turning much colder tomorrow. It'll be breezy with clouds giving way to some sunshine, the high only reaching 35. Tomorrow night, we'll see clear skies with a low of 20. Friday will be mostly sunny. It'll be breezy in the afternoon. We'll wrap up the work week with a high of 37. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. sense what's that does what make sense the electric range well i would say this for a lot of people the electric range is the only option Mm -hmm. because the neighborhood that they live in does not have natural gas lines or if it does, it doesn't have the additional gas line that goes into the kitchen. So the electric range for people, that's just a matter of necessity. Personally, I have never owned an electric oven and I am so incredibly grateful for that because whenever I see people using them, I think that stinks. So from my perspective, no, it doesn't make sense to me at all. For you, do they make sense? I'm entering into my 22nd year of an electric range. What? Mm-hmm. You've ne- Oh, how do you cook on that thing? Listen, listen. It was exactly what you're talking about, is that we have gas in our neighborhood, 
but there was no gas line running to our kitchen. Yep. And it was just going to be an extra expense that we thought, why do we, you know, we can't like, what we can, the? there are a lot Don't of you other regret places. that decision. Listen to me. I am so over my electric. Oh, I the worst. lived with it. There's no control. It's slow. It's just not, doesn't heat uh, well. Anyway. People. Yeah. So I, uh, again, find myself in the uncomfortable position of agreeing with John. And, Thank you. And say that the electric range, I mean, in an ideal world, that does not make Does sense. not make sense. I agree. Okay. All right. Remember, uh, okay, the zip code. Remember the, for the zip code, you know, Mr. Zip, every, hey, my zip code. And then, I don't know, two decades or so ago, they added four additional numbers to your zip code. Oh, yes, yes. Like your neighborhood code or whatever that is. Right. Now, do you use that four additional... That doesn't make to, any sense. Listen, when that first came out, I was using it. Then I kind of forgot about it. Now I don't remember what it is. Oh, I know what mine is. I don't use it as a means of just principle because I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. You've got my zip code. Now you want four additional things. Uh, look, the way that they're sorting mail and, of course, mail delivery itself, that's going to go away soon. You know that. And the post office, what are they delivering to my door? The giant eagle flyer, basically. That's it. So the zip code's going to go away, and that four-digit thing. Your zip code's not going to go away. That doesn't make any sense at all. It's going to go away. In twenty, it's not ten years. It's going to go away. Forget it, Mr. Zip, R.I.P. I'm saying, (laughs) doesn't make any sense whatsoever. All right, did you ask me if it made sense, or you just spouting off your own opinion? Oh, does the zip code make sense, Kat? That four-digit thing doesn't make any sense. Thank you. Does the zip code make sense? Yes, of course. Everybody needs a zip code. But your social security number does that make sense? 101.5 WORD. This week on Insight for Living. I don't know if you're the kind of person who holds a grudge, but if you are, I plead with you on this day in your life to break that habit. Holding grudges is a horrible way to live, and it's a dreadful way to die. Chuck Swindoll finds wisdom in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this week on Insight for Living. Tomorrow morning at 8 on 101.5 WORD. We're all thinking a lot about school these days. Like, will the kids ever go back? Or why can't they have enough work to last the whole day? Or if it's all online, what are the teachers really doing? Now's a perfect time to consider a Christian education with a school who will be a true educational partner for you and your family. Many are offering half-price tuitions for first-time enrollees, like Jubilee Christian School in Mount Lebanon. Find a school that's right for you at wordfm.com slash tuitions. Well, by now, you all heard me talk about my pillow and how it's really a great, very comfortable pillow. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape, and they're made in the USA. Now, for a limited time, my pillow is offering the premium my pillows for the lowest price ever. You can get a queen-size premium MyPillow for $29.98. They are regularly $69.98. It's a $40 savings. Kings are only $5 more. All MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code WORD. You'll also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets, or call 800-391-0954. Use promo code WORD. Or right now, MyPillow.com. MyPillow.com. 
The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your account into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. I'm sure pastors know this better than anybody, but there are gigantic swaths of people, millions and millions of people who say, I'm not a believer, I'm not a Christian, a Buddhist, a Hindu, or whatever. You can just call me a nun because I really don't have any particular belief. Well, Pastor Ryan Burge is with us. He's got a brand new book out that premieres next week. It's called The Nuns, where they come from, who they are, and where they are going. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah, pleasure. Okay, so Ryan, you talk about being a pastor. You tell a very particular story, which highlights exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm a pastor of a small American Baptist church in rural Illinois. In when we built the building in 1968, there were over 300 people, full sanctuary, you know, full parking lot, full everything. Yeah. By the late 1990s, there were about 100 people in worship. When I took over in 2006, there were 50, and um, there were 30 a couple of years ago. And we had church the first time last Sunday in a long time because of COVID. And we had 11 souls there, my, myself included. So I, this is very real for me. This isn't just numbers on a page or a graph wow. I make for Twitter. This is actually in front of my face from the pulpit every Sunday morning. Wow. Okay. So then you decided to take your role, you know, your other life as a social scientist and kind of dig into why this has happened. Um, and so tell us what you found. Well, it's complex. You know, the thing about social science you realize really quickly is that people want a simple answer and social science does not provide a simple answer because life is, you know, multifaceted, multidimensional. And so what I try to do in the book is, you know, in chapter two, I I give like eight different reasons why the nuns have grown so rapidly. And in some ways I try to debunk some of those things, but then other ways I kind of, you know, provide some more evidence they might be true. But I do think the overriding concern here is what's called secularization which is this, this social science concept that basically as a country becomes more economically prosperous and educationally advanced, that it's going to become less religious over time. And Europe, Western Europe, is sort of the, the prime example of that happening, you know, because most of Western Europe now is largely secular. 75, 80 percent of people don't go to church with any regularity in places like France or Germany or the UK. Well, to expect that to not come to America is just wishful thinking. It just took a long time to get across the ocean. So now what happened in Europe, you know, post-World War II happened in America beginning in the early 1990s. Only 5% of Americans were nuns in 1972. Today it's 24%. So there's definitely been a humongous, this this wave of secularization hit the coast in the 1990s and has been picking up speed since then. 
Okay. But Ryan, you know, the adage is you got to believe in something, right? So these people who are the nuns, they may not necessarily be, you know, agnostics or atheists, but they do show up. And, you know, we all see this in our churches, Christmas, Easter, all of a sudden people show up. Yeah. So I really make a point in the book saying that all nuns are not created equal. And I do think that pastors sort of created boogeymen out of atheists. Um, Atheists are a very small portion of the population, about 6% of the population. Um, agnostics are another 6%, but then the bigger group of nuns, which no one talks about, is a group called nothing in particular, which is literally what the survey response option is at the bottom. It gives you all these options. The last one's nothing in particular. You check that box. One in five Americans, 20% of Americans are nothing in particular. They're the same size as white Catholics are and just slightly smaller than evangelicals. So it's a very large group, and it's grown 15% 10 years ago, 20% today, and they actually are not antagonistic towards religion. Uh, 40% of them go to church at least once a year. So they're, you know, they're still somewhat attached, while 95% of atheists never go. So it's a totally different world when you're trying to think about the nuns as all atheists who are trying to convert you away from Christianity versus the nothing in particular who are sort of just mushy about everything. Right. So you say in your article that it's some nuns or sums. Yeah. 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 So there are three ways to be a nun. Um, There are people who don't go to church, you know, at all that make you a nun that way. There are people who say they have no religious affiliation. That's a religious belonging measure. And the last one is religious belief, which is people who don't believe in God. The reality is that most people do at least one of those things. And many people do all three. 60% of Americans both behave, believe, and belong. So the vast majority of Americans still do all these things. But when you talk about which ones go away first, the going to church thing is the first thing that goes. You know, about 35, 40% of Americans go to church less than once a year. So if you're a nun, that's usually the dimension you're a nun on. The second one is belonging. That means you say that you have no religious affiliation. The last thing to go, though, is the belief piece. Only 10% of Americans today hold an atheist or agnostic belief in God. So the vast majority of Americans still believe in God at some level. It's just, you know, we think of the nuns as being all these other things. And really the center of that, only about 6% of Americans don't believe, don't behave, and don't belong. So to be a nun on all three dimensions is really, really a small portion of America. I see. So then, Ryan, what about these people? You know, this is, happens more often than not. People are raised in a church. They go away to college. They lose their faith. Then all of a sudden, you know, later on down the line, they get married. They have kids, and they go, oh, uh, yeah, we need to join a church again. So those nuns, there, there is hope for those, right? The people will come back around again. Oh, I have bad news, John. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) I have bad news. What you were talking about is called the life cycle effect. And it's like this old social science thing that you learn like in grad school. Like, yeah, so, so, you know, you're, 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 you're Christian as a kid because you were raised like in a youth group. Your parents caught, you know, brought you to church. You go to college, you like learn Nietzsche and you, you know, party and stuff. You go away. Then you get married, have kids in your late 20s, early 30s, come back and stay back. That was true of the boomers. They did that. You can see it in the data, and I lay it all out with big fancy graphs and stuff. But for every successive generation, Gen X, millennials, and now Gen Z, that's not happening anymore. They're leaving, and they're not coming back. It just goes – disaffiliation continues to rise as those groups are aging. So it's it's still – like, for instance, 25% of the boomers now are nuns. It's 42% of millennials and 42% of Gen Z, but even the boomers are not immune from religious disaffiliation as well. Wow. That is bad news. 
Okay, <laughs> sure is. Why did we invite him on the program? With all uh, no, sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, you know what James Baldwin said? Not everything that can be faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's, it's you, faced. There, there, I good. like that very much. This is That's Dr. Ryan Burge, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Eastern Illinois University. We're talking about his brand new book called The Nuns, where they, and that's N-O-N-E-S, Correct. where they came from, who they are, and where they're going. Okay, so... We've talked about the belief part and we've talked about church attendance. What about, um, and this is a crisis that I know we see in, in every institution and membership in institutions across the country, but what about that? You know, I want to belong somewhere. I want to be known. Yeah, everyone needs, we know that human beings are social human beings. I mean, you know, psychologists are telling us now that putting inmates in the shoe by themselves is actually a form of torture. We need people. That's who we are. The problem that we're worrying with, though, especially with COVID, I think all of us are worried with COVID is what what are we going to do mentally, you know, in terms of being parts of groups? Because what we know is other parts of society outside of the religious sphere, things like the Moose and the Elks and the VFW and the American Legion and all these sort of fraternal organizations used to like have fish fries and soup dinners and all those things. They're not doing that anymore. So we're losing those social connections. And I think that the church is one of the last real bastions of socialization that we have in America. And really, I think the nothing in particular group is especially, you know, far away from social organizations. And they could benefit the most from church because atheists have actually really strong communities, especially around their politics. I'm not as worried about them because a lot of them have high levels of education, high levels of income. So they're, you know, they're involved in society just differently. The nothing in particular is have very low education, very low income, and seem like they're just checked out from everything. And I think church would be a good way to sort of tether them back to some sort of social capital is what we call it, these bonds that hold us together. Okay, so then, Ryan, a lot of Christians love to evangelize. They want to go out there and spread the gospel. Is that even possible in this none era that we're living in? Yeah, so I talk about that in the book that I think that the idea of trying to do like an apologetics discussion with an atheist is an absolute waste of time. You know, no one became a Christian because they lost the argument. That's just a ridiculous waste of time. It's a philosophical discussion. Let's just not waste energy on that. So what I say in the book is those nothing in particulars. So over a four year period of time, 60% of them are still nothing in particular, but 20% become atheists or agnostics, but 20% of them come back to a religious community four years later. So they're not antagonistic towards faith groups, mm. and, and they're not going to have a philosophical, epistemological discussion with you about cosmology and atonement and things. They want to have a friends. They want to have a community. Yeah. They want to have a sense of purpose and belonging. And those are the people the church needs to reach out to because the, that's fertile soil compared to arguing with an atheist online. I see. So then the, the model of the megachurch – Right. That's a whole other era. But the model of people gathering in our living room where there's maybe 10 couples or whatever, 20 people max, that may be the future. I think it is. I mean, I think what we're seeing in America is we're seeing um, mergers and acquisitions. So American Christianity, that mega churches are getting larger and a lot of churches like mine are getting smaller or closing down. But I do think there is a there is space in that model for these very small church communities okay. to continue to exist and persist because what we're going to be left with is either you're going to be a member of a thousand person church or you're going to be a member of, of 20 couples you know that meet once a week in a living room or a small meeting facility like there's not going to be a whole lot in between because church actually it's actually from an economy of scale 
mega churches have it figured out. It's cheaper to have more staff, more facilities, more training, more all that stuff. So I think what we're going to see is those kind of smaller churches or small meeting groups are going to be the norm for lots of Christians going forward who feel like they want to be Christians, but they don't like all that's tied up in being part of a big mega church. Right. Okay. So what kinds of things, so if they don't like what's, you know, what's involved in being part of a mega church, what in specific are you, are they speaking of or thinking of? So what I think is, and I, and I talk a lot to my pastor friends about this is the one thing that social science trained me to do is think about the social world as much as I think about the theological world. You know, I think pastors get obsessed and rightfully so with the vertical dimension, right? Between us and God, because that's their job, right? But we have to understand that church is also us and other people, right? It's got a horizontal dimension to it. We call that internal versus external religiosity. You know, we always put a lot of emphasis on the internal, but we don't think about the external. People need friends. I mean, as simple as, yes, yeah. but, you know, but as, that to me is so profound. And I think churches, and I know my past friends are going to yell at me for saying this. They need to emphasize first their social organizations that just want to be friends with people right? Mm. We have suppers, we have rallies, we have meetings, we have get togethers. You you get to know other families in your community just by coming to the church. And if you don't believe any of the stuff the pastor says, we don't care, right? We don't care because we want you to be part of something. Now, I think what eventually happens is that stuff comes later, but I think a lot of churches feel like they have to lead with the evangelization piece and they forget the socialization piece, right? right? So emphasize the social part and maybe, I don't want to say downplay, but just don't emphasize the theological stuff right up front and just get these people part of a community because they'll be better for it. Excellent. Ryan Burge is with us. Brand new book next week. It's called The Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, where they come from who they are, and where they are going. Okay, so Ryan, in in the intervening time, I mean, this is a a brutal sort of pill we're having to swallow here that doesn't feel like there's a lot of good news. Uh, Are you more positive or, or are you more negative about this? I am. I've never felt better about what's going on in America than I do right now. Really? Uh, Why is that? And I'll give you, I'll give you a couple reasons. One, I got the vaccine today and so did my wife. Nice. You know, like life is, we're moving. It's 62 degrees outside. It was, we had 10 degree weather for 12 days straight. My kids didn't go to school for 17 days in a row. And now they're going to school four days a week. The travel industry is going to open back up. We're going to have enough vaccines to vaccinate everyone in America by the end of May. There's so much pent up demand in the economy for people to get back and get to events and go do things and get out of their house. And I think, you know, the, the, the world has just turned in the last couple of weeks, it feels like, and we've dug out of that hole and the light is coming at the end of the tunnel. Listen, we developed a vaccine that's 95% effective in less than 12 months. That's the first time in the history of humanity we ever did that. Science did it. It took four years to develop the mumps vaccine. That was the record before this. I have never been so positive about the human condition in American society than I am right now. Excellent. All right, Ryan. Good news. Thanks as always. I love the appreciation of what you do theologically and with numbers. You chart and graph. It's a good combination. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Next week, March 9th, The Nuns, where they came from, who they are, and where they are going. Look for it. Ryan Burge is the author. Take a break. Step away. we got much more ahead. Stick around. The Ride Home with Johnny Kathy, Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. We are Word FM. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. 
That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low, and now this year, they're somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put twenty percent down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. We pay your appraisal fees up to five hundred dollars. United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. MLS number thirteen thirty. Department of Banking. Mortgage Lender License Number two two six seven two. Well, by now you've all heard me talk about my pillow and how it's really a great, very comfortable pillow. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. And they're made in the USA. Now, for a limited time, my pillow is offering the premium my pillows for the lowest price ever. You can get a queen size premium my pillow for twenty nine ninety eight. They are regularly sixty nine ninety eight. That's a forty dollars savings. Kings are only five dollars more. All my pillow products come with a ten year warranty and a sixty day money back guarantee. Go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code word. You'll also get deep discounts on all my pillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the My Pillow mattress topper, and My Pillow towel sets. Or call eight hundred three nine one zero nine five four. Use promo code word. Or right now, mypillow.com. Mypillow.com. Today's forecast calls for clear skies, slight winds coming out of the northeast. And customized car insurance from Liberty Mutual, so you only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary prepares students for ministry in the way of Jesus with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and Doctor of Ministry degree programs and certificates. Perfect for students with full-time employment pursuing a seminary education. Learn more at pts.edu. This is Tim Seckler inviting you to tune in each and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by my law firm, the Seckler Law Firm. Each week, we'll talk about your family's well-being as it relates to elder law, nursing home stays, estate planning, and keeping your hard-earned savings. And if you missed the Life and Legacy show, you will find it archived at secularlawfirm.com. See you Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy show. I was reading the uh, newspaper today, and uh, there's an article about the flat cap is back. So they had photos of, you know, the big film stars, Brad Pitt and, you know, any number of people wearing this, this hat that I'm wearing right now, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, it's some kind of form of what you would call the newsboy hat. Right, the driver's cap. Right. Some people can wear these. Other people can't, right? And other people, we've got a good friend. Whenever you, I put this hat on, he looks at me and goes, that's an old man hat. But to be honest, I like it. It feels good yeah. on me. You know, a lot of guys now, when you wear hats today, most guys, when they wear a hat, they're wearing a baseball cap. I'm so over the baseball cap. Okay. I mean, if you're, if you're 12, that's great. But, you know, you want to wear a hat, you should choose your own particular style. Who was on? Oh, Norman Lear. Norman Lear was on the Glo- oh, Golden yeah. Globes the other day. What's he always wear? He always wears the bucket hat. Right, right. Which I like. That's his yeah, signature style. I like that too, yeah. So mm-hmm. the question is, do you wear a hat? I rarely wear a hat. Well, you look and good people, in the hat. Well, people looking at this hat are saying, thank goodness. This is a hat that we bought at Goodwill when my husband was dressing up as Stevie Ray Vaughan for Halloween. Yeah. So it's not exactly, I would say, top shelf. That was the closest one to me. Um, I, you know, it smashes my hair down. 
So it's kind of weird when you have like poofy hair, because right. unless you're going to wear it all the time, when you take it off, right, that's going to be weird. Right. Now for the people who are follically challenged and I'll raise my hand there. I, I used to know a guy, uh, I, I was on a film set with this guy probably 30 times. This guy never took his hat off one time, one time, like years later, took his hat off. The guy was bald as a cue ball. And that's why he wore a hat. He wore his hat to cover up his lack of hair, which I don't have a problem with. Right? Well, you know, I mean, my husband wears a hat all day. I mean, my husband wears a hat until he goes to sleep at night. He wears a hat all day, every day, even in the summertime, doesn't he? he at, at, even at home, because simply because he's so cold. Even in the summertime. I mean, I mean, if it's 95, he's not cold. Yeah, but pretty yeah. much most every other day, because he's bald, he's, free, he's just cold. Now, here's a weird thing. He doesn't choose his hats. You choose his hats. I do choose his hats. I mean, I don't understand that. You I'm think he'd want to choose his own hats. Yeah, I do like his hats. You're right about that. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, you wear a hat. I wear a hat. I like a hat. Have yourself a great night. Podcast is up and running. We'll see you tomorrow. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.